Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part 60 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 26th of June 2011, entitled Scriptural Salvation Part 1, and the Bible reading is the Book of Jude. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. Beginning in the Book of Jude, verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, which contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. What they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds, Trees whose fruit wherewith, without fruit, twice dead, picked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurs, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time 
who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you again. Lord, help us please not to waste this time that we have together this morning. Help us not to take for granted. Lord, when we have many of our brothers and sisters in Christ around this world that, Lord, do not have this glorious privilege that we have here this morning, thank you for each one that is able to be here. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your Holy Spirit that is amongst us. I pray now that as we look into your word, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to our hearts and that our hearts would be open and receptive to that which you have for us. If they be lost in their midst, may they be saved today. May the backslider be restored. May each Christian be built up in the faith in which he holds dear. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, when you start, as we did in this series, on contending for the faith, and of course, as we looked at what it was and why it was that we were to contend for that faith. And then as you began trying to pick out those fundamentals of that faith, what's worth fighting for? We don't want to pick fights for we don't need to fight. <laughs> There's too much fighting in the world as it is. But just as assuredly in some places, there's not enough fighting. There's too much compromise when it comes to God's word. We began to go through these, and I'm not going to go through all the sermons that we've preached as this will be our 60th today. But as we've looked at those fundamentals, we've looked at these things, the basis of our faith, the inspired Word of God, the eternal existence of a triune God, Jesus Christ our Lord, nothing but the blood. We've looked at the truth about Satan. We've looked at the Holy Spirit. And, of course, I keep telling you as we come to these things, this one's important. Well, everything in God's Word is important. And there's nothing in God's Word that is worthy of just throwing away because it doesn't matter. But we said that there are also some things that are fundamental to this faith. They are foundational. We can disagree on things that are important and still be part of the same faith. And as we've gone through, we've tried to look at some of the, so many of those things that are, yes, they have their fundamental foundational truths, that there is absolutely no way in the world that we can compromise, that we can move from those things and still have the same faith. And we've also looked at many things that are important to us as a local church. As we move on to our subject today, you would think that you know, this one wouldn't really probably need to be mentioned. Yet there is no, nothing that we've looked at that is any more foundational 
than what we want to look at today. You would think this is something that amongst Christians ought not to even have to be talked about, that it would be that simple and that straightforward. But there is a fundamental of the faith for which we must be willing to contend and not be moved from and not try to substitute or cut any corners or in any way, shape, or form, and that's the matter of scriptural salvation. There are so many people that speak of salvation, that speak of conversion, that speak of their relationship with God in whatever terms that they may use. We find that we're not all speaking of the same thing. Now, I would remind you in our verses that Jude began the book of Jude with Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brothers of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Everything that we're looking at are those that have been saved and sanctified in the Lord Jesus Christ. He even, when he put forth that tremendous challenge to contend for the faith, he said there in verse 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write to you and warn you of all these things that were going wrong, of those that were slipping in, of the dangers and the errors that were creeping in there. And then I remind you, as we read through these verses, he speaks much upon God's judgment upon those that are outside of that truth, that are outside of that faith. There is only one scriptural salvation that will put you within that faith today. Even in his closing comments, He said, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then he goes on to challenge us to do the same for others. And if some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments sparted with the flesh. Then he gives us that great security now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. It's hard to separate one truth from another truth in God's word of what's more important. But I would ask you this very simply. Could anything be more fundamental to our faith than what we believe, what we purport to others to believe about scriptural salvation? How to become part of this faith? You see, We can note, and I'm not going to waste a lot of my time on them this morning, and I've already made the statement, and I mean it from the depths of my heart. It's not my desire to pick fights for the sake of picking fights. It's not 
my desire to be divided from any of my brothers and sisters in Christ anywhere on this planet earth. Whatever names or tags that they hang above their doors and call themselves, I have no problem with that. But I would say to you that by the same token, we must contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. We find that we're in a day when you can look around at organizations, we find that there was one back at the early part of the century that began to be talked about. And it was put off until following the war, but we would know it as the World Council of Churches. And of course, most people are wise enough to know that there's a lot of people that are part of that that they're not even evangelical. They, they don't really have any desire towards the kind of salvation that we would be talking about whatsoever. I'm saying that in the world that you and I live, the last report that I could come up with, there's almost 600 million, some 590 million people in nearly 150 countries around the world with over half a million local congregations with almost half a million pastors and priests that belong to this fellowship, this organization that is called the World Council of Churches. We find that the simple truth is, is that they don't really focus upon doctrine or teaching whatsoever. Matter of fact, if you really get down to it, if you go much farther than just calling yourself a Christian, then you're going to have a problem. But most people are aware of that. And you know, a lot of even what we would consider those that are not even very conservative, many of them would have problems with the World Council of Churches. And yet, by the same token, most of the churches around us belong to such organizations. Most of the churches that even right here in our own city that would call themselves evangelical now belong to the World Council of Churches. We find that we live in a day when again in 1994, there was a ecumenical document that was signed. And it was called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And let me tell you this. That document was signed by some of the quote, unquote, leading evangelicals and some of the leading Catholic scholars and philosophers of this world. Now, it's written, it's supposed to be a testimony that spells out the need for Protestants and Catholics to deliver a common witness in this modern world as we begin the third millennium. Now, you know, rationale will tell you, well, you know, we ought to want to get along with everybody. We ought to want to give a common message. But the thing is, if we can give a common message, what message will it be? You see, that document really doesn't touch on any specific points of theology because you can't really talk about the things of God. You can't even get into shallow conversations 
without finding that there are differences that cannot be brought together. They call it spiritual ecumenism, day-to-day ecumenism. Now understand this. I stand before you today and I tell honestly from the depths of my heart, I have absolutely, positively no ill feelings or hard feelings towards anybody that is part of the Roman Catholic or Orthodox or any other church that holds to those things. I have nothing but love and compassion for them. I will say this, though. I have serious difficulties with what they proclaim and give to those people as organizations to be the truth. I have severe problems with what they tell them will make them okay with God and that one day will get them into heaven and not have to go to an eternity in hell. Listen, I could lead off a list of names. That document was signed by such well-known people as Bill Bright of Campus Crusade for Christ, an evangelical organization. Oz Guinness of the Trinity Forum. Richard Mao of Fuller Theological Seminary. Mark Knoll of Wheaton College, evangelical. J.I. Packer of Regent College. Pat Robertson of Regent University. Larry Lewis, this one shocked me, of the Home Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. This has since it's gone back conservative from the liberals. Richard Land of the Christian Life Commission. Jesse Miranda of the Assemblies of God. John Wheat of Geneva College. The list can go on and on and on and on. I'm saying, you know, the big difference is this. That there were those that were willing to sign up. Even those, folks, that would use some of the same identifiers as we do here this morning. Matter of fact, the Baptist Union of Great Britain was one of the first organizations to sign the document with the World Council of, of, of Churches. Amazing. An organization that began, if you trace it right the way back, from the organizations that began from the likes of William Carey and whatnot. We find that we live in a day when we're going to be counted very odd And no matter how loving that we try to be in speaking the truth in love, it's not going to be popular in Christendom. We're talking about, and these are just some of the names. I'm not not naming them to be malicious. They signed it. They they shouldn't be ashamed of the fact that, that their names are there. They're obviously proud. They think I'm the one that has the problem because I wouldn't be willing to sign it. And that's fair enough. I'm saying to you, that we live in a day when lines are being drawn differently. Following that, there was a joint declaration on the doctrine of justification between the Lutheran church, one of the Protestant churches that came out of the Reformation with the Catholic church. The same Catholic church that has absolutely put in writing, even as far back as the 1500s, what it thought of the Reformers' doctrines of justification. It could go on and on and on and on. What I'm trying to say to you this morning 
is that there are many, many, many people, and you need to realize this and understand this. There are many people that call themselves evangelicals. There are many people that say that their mission is the same as ours. There are many people that will use the same terminology. But I'm saying to you today, I'm not going to sit and, and waste my time trying to work out their terminology and what they mean. But I'm saying that you and I need to be willing to contend for what is biblical, scriptural salvation. Regardless of what the organizations say, regardless of what everybody else says, what does the word of God say? We're not trying to pick fights from everything that we see in God's word. There is no other way to be right with God regardless of what our religious organizations and denominations say. I would love to be able to get along with every one of my brothers and sisters in Christ and not have to pick and divide over doctrines. But folks, you can have no true unity outside of truth. I'm quite happy to put aside my personal feelings and my personal opinions and all of those things. But how dare we put away the clear, positive teachings I have tried so hard in all that we've looked at in this series to underline over and over and over again. And most of what I'm going to give you for the rest of this sermon this morning is nothing but Scripture. I'm going to give you some very basics about scriptural salvation. I want to give you the Word of God. I want you to understand we have nowhere else to stand if we're going to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. And though that Christendom around us is saying we have a common mission and that we must put a common front to the world to accomplish that mission, I'm all for it. As long as that truth, that mission in bringing them to Christ is biblically and scriptural to where it will actually be done. But folks, we want to look this morning at the things that I believe determine what scriptural salvation truly is. You see, most of these documents, they begin to put their emphasis upon grace, but very little upon the faith because they begin to differ too much. But the problem is, as we see time and time again, for by grace are you saved through faith. You can't get to the grace without being right about the faith. There's no other way to get there. It's kind of hard not to like grace. <laughs> it's kind of hard not to like, you know, having something given to you that you don't even really deserve. We find that their emphasis has to change in order to see those things accomplished. In Ephesians chapter 2, that very, very familiar passage, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We could discuss the differences of much of Christianity on the subject of salvation. We could devote much time to all the differences that we have 
But I want to say to you this morning, let's just cut to the chase, as they say. Instead of worrying about what all of them are saying and doing, then let's look to the Word of God and say, okay, forget my opinions, forget how I want to interpret these things. What does the Bible say? You see, we've got to recognize that even amongst Christians, that take on the same tags, that call themselves the same things, that even they differ over some of these things. Even those that would call themselves Baptists and even free Baptists as we are this morning, you've got hyper-Calvinism at its extreme on one side and Armenianism at its extreme on the other. You've got Easy believism, we'll just sign this little card, just follow me in this little prayer, just do this little thing, and you'll be okay with God. To the legalistic nutcases over there that you've got to do everything and follow every chart that they've got and get it all in the right order, or you're never going to get it right. That's not even those that call themselves by something different because there's a difference enough to identify. That's the ones that call themselves the same things as we do. Folks, would you agree with me? There is no room for error when it comes to the matter of salvation. And regardless of how I want to define it or you define it, you see, here's what we say in our church's statement of faith. The third point in there, speaking of man, says, we believe that man was created in the image of God, but because of Adam's transgression, his disobedience, that the whole human race fell. Because of this, all men are totally depraved and without Christ, spiritually dead and lost. All men everywhere are sinners, both by nature and by choice. To die in this condition is to be damned forever and eternally separated from God. That is, our, that is our statement concerning the condition of man. And then in number five of that statement of faith, this is our statement concerning the matter of salvation. We believe that salvation is only in Christ. To obtain this salvation is to repent of one's sin toward God and to have faith toward Christ to receive him in their heart by faith. This great salvation is solely by grace, a free gift through the shed blood of the Son of God. The blood of Jesus Christ was shed for the sins of the whole world, all mankind. As a work of God's grace and not man's works, it is an eternal work. Those who are truly saved can never be lost again. Those who are truly saved will persevere until the end. It entails what Christ called the new birth, being born again from above by the word of God, the instrument, and the spirit of God, the person. Now, a lot more could be said but we have laid that out as our simple basis of our faith of the condition of mankind in his sins and a simple explanation of what salvation is. Scriptural salvation. Scriptural salvation. 
First of all, if it's scriptural salvation, it's a sound salvation. How many times do we hear that word today? I hear it used in every corner about all kinds of things, spiritual and non-spiritual. Sound. That's sound. Well, when we talk about being sound, we talk about it being right, about it being solid, about it being grounded. I'm saying to you today that scriptural salvation is not something that is out there on some hope-sos and some maybe-sos. It's on a solid foundation. It is a sound salvation. It's biblically sound. You see, it's grounded on the Word of God. Now, scriptural salvation must of necessity, first of all, consider the condition of the sinner. That's where it's got to begin. That's where we've already read. That's where all men are. The total depravity of all mankind. Nobody in this world is born a Christian. Nobody in this world is without sin. We have to come to recognize and to acknowledge that in our own personal lives. Nobody can do it for us. Preacher, why do you say that? Well, I'm just going to give you a few scriptures since you asked. First of all, in Romans chapter 3, we find, beginning in verse 9, Romans chapter 3 says, what then? Are we better than they? No, and no wise, for we have both proved, before proved, both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. It says they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher and their tongue they have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace have they not known for there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, why, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now, but now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. Well, there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God 
to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. Folks, we can start interpreting and trying to rationalize and, and tear it all over the place. And I'm saying, what does the Word of God say? The simple truth is scriptural salvation is a sound salvation that will consider the condition of the sinner. God goes to great lengths to point out to us there is nobody that's left out. Everybody is guilty. And there is absolutely no hope, nothing that man can do, nothing that man can accomplish, zero, except by Jesus Christ. His righteousness, his blood that was shed, that's the only law that's going to work for us, the law of faith. We turn just a couple of pages over in your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Notice what the Word of God says beginning in verse 12. He says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses from the time that sin entered until the law was given. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. Everybody died. Why? Because by that one man, Adam, sin had entered in, and when sin came in, death came with it. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one. The free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound that as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. The prophet Isaiah 
in the Old Testament. In a very familiar passage in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 6, he said, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The psalmist writes in Psalm 14, in the 14th Psalm beginning in verse 1, he says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? You see, according to God's word, you know, man is not only in his sin. Man within himself has no desire to be anywhere else. He doesn't want to be out of it. In Ephesians chapter 4 and in verse 17, the Word of God says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye, talking to the believer, henceforth Walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. You see, man's natural state is not a nice one. And biblical Scriptural sound of salvation. Scriptural salvation is going to be a sound salvation. It's going to consider the condition of the sinner. We have so many today, so many that want to get people to heaven, but they don't begin with man's lost condition. Not only must it consider the condition of the sinner, it must consider the consequences of, of sin. You see, in recognizing that sinfulness, that sinfulness against and before a holy and a righteous God. Man must come to recognize the consequences of that sin, what it's going to cost. If sin is present, if it's there, if it's not dealt with, there are some natural consequences that are the only thing that can come from it. Find that John wrote in the Gospel of John chapter 8, John chapter 8 and verse 24, the Word of God says this, I said therefore unto you, Jesus speaking, that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8 Again, a very common passage that we would often take the lost person to when leading them to Christ. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were 
yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were all sinners, but while we were sinners, Christ came to die for us. The Gospel of John, chapter 16. Of course, just before our Lord goes into the garden and is later taken to the crucifixion, in John chapter 16, when he's speaking to them of one to come, we find that he makes it very clear. But before we look there, of course, we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I guess we often refer to it as the great resurrection chapter. But that chapter begins with one of the simplest, clearest descriptions of the gospel in the Word of God. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you all, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, of which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, according to the Scripture. The Bible said, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And in Romans 6, 23, it says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. We won't turn for the sake of time. If you turn back to Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, the Bible says, all those whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life are cast into the lake of fire. And John, again, in the Gospel of John chapter 3, when Nicodemus came to him and very sincere and asked him that sincere question about how that he could see the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. We find that in John chapter 3, verse 3, he says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He said in verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto you, ye must be born again. You see, biblical salvation is sound salvation. And it must consider, it must consider, first of all, the condition of the sinner and the consequences of his sin. But then as we see here in these verses, well, it also must consider the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You see, when we speak of scriptural salvation, we're not speaking about just knowing a bunch of verses and a bunch of facts. People can be moved emotionally by all kinds of things. There's all kinds of things we could get up here and get people to do to, to maybe rip out your heart and get you to cry this morning and, and to start feeling sorry for yourself. You see, the truth is, though, is that it's only through the Holy Spirit that we'll come to truly recognize our sin and the consequences of that sin. Man can feel guilty on his own, but man can only truly experience what the Bible calls godly sorrow in his heart. Not being sad because you got caught. Not even being guilty because you know better. But godly sorrow because it's sin. Because it's sin. Man cannot come to God on his own terms. 
Man can't even just come to God when he wants to of his own accord because it'll never happen. That's why over and over the message of salvation is a now message right now because biblical salvation considers where man is in his sin and what the consequences of sin is for everyone. And it's only then by the convicting work of the Holy Ghost that come into their life that can bring them to that point. That passage that we started to read there a moment ago in John chapter 16, when Jesus was preparing to leave, he said there in verse 7, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come and you come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you when he has come. He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. Look back just a few pages in the Gospel of John, chapter 6. In John, chapter 6, if you begin reading there in verse 22, you read what the Bible knows is the great discourse of Jesus on the bread of life, of his being the bread of life. And boy, did he upset some people when he started claiming to be the bread of life sent down from heaven and, and all of that. But I want you to notice down in verse 44. You can read all of this, and it's wonderful. We just don't have time to read it to you this morning. Verse 44 of that discourse says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, folks, it's hard for us a lot of times to get the balance on these. The simple truth is all men everywhere, everyone, is guilty of sin. And the consequences of that sin is death. There is no other way. There's nowhere else that it can go. Jesus Christ is the only answer. But it's only through the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts that we can even recognize that, that we can see it in God's Word. We can't decide, well, I'll sort it out one day when I feel more like it. I'll get it fixed one day. All the best intentions in the world. Can we understand this? I'm not trying to interpret something from, for you this morning. I'm reading the scriptures from the word of God. The word of God says that unless God is moving in your life, you'll not recognize you're a sinner. You won't understand that you're a sinner. And you'll have no desire to leave your sin. If it's God that's dealing with you, that's showing you that, then you need to listen because you may not have tomorrow. And it's not when you decide to do it. God, by his grace, you cannot blame him by his grace. He's allowing you to see that. And I could say so much more, but I want to give you this fourth one in closing. You see, Scriptural salvation is a sound salvation because, yes, it considers the condition of the sinner, the consequences of the sin, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But all that in itself, all of it, 
will still not get you to heaven unless this fourth one is considered, and that's conversion to the Savior. You've got to be converted. Just recognizing you're a sinner isn't enough. Just believing that Jesus lived, that he died upon the cross one day, that's not enough. That's all part of it. You must believe that Jesus did that. The Scripture's full of verse after verse that tells you that you've got to believe that. I give you just a couple of verses, this closing statement. First of all, in Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. Notice what it says in verse 27 and 28 of this chapter. It says, for the heart of this people is waxed gross. Their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. Do you recognize, listen carefully, there are people that have set under the gospel, the gospel message, the clear message of what it takes to be saved, even just like we're talking about here this morning, they've set under it time and time and time and time again. And just like so many things in life, you can become so used to it that it doesn't affect you anymore. You've heard it so many times. This is what's happened. He says, these people, their hearts have waxed gross. Their ears have gotten dull of hearing. Their, their eyes, they've closed. Why? Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles and that they will hear it. Israel had the truth, but her heart had gone cold against it. Simple truth is God says, okay, I've offered it to you. You've rejected. You don't want it because you don't want your life changed. They didn't want things to change in their lives, okay? I'm going to give it to somebody else. Folks, I'm not making this up. I'm saying that's a real danger. How can you go and look God one day and blame him when he said, I came and I showed you and I allowed you to see it. I did everything that was necessary for your salvation, but you didn't want anything to do with it. You would not respond. It was all done for you. All you had to do was accept it. We find that so many aren't willing. We go back to the book of Romans. We, again, use that passage so often in Romans chapter 10. You see, God's done it all. It's all been accomplished. But it says in Romans chapter 10 that if thou, who's thou? You or anybody else in their lost condition, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'm saying today, that if God, in his grace and in his mercy, he's shown you and he's told you and he's shown you, this is the only way that scriptural salvation can take place. The church can't do it. All the religion, all the intentions in the world, they will not get a person saved. 
Scriptural salvation begins with all mankind everywhere, every human being being lost in its sin. It begins with the fact that with that man, with that sin, there's only one consequence, and that's death, and that one day even death itself will be cast into the lake of fire. But Jesus Christ came to seek and to save them that were lost. Jesus Christ left behind his Holy Spirit to be able to work in your heart, to let you see your lost condition, to let you understand what you needed to do. We read that passage there just a moment ago in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Jesus Christ accomplished it all. There's nothing else left that needs to be done. But if God has spoken to you, then you need to be converted. You need to be converted. And that's the only way that anybody can ever come to Christ. In Acts chapter 17 and in verse 30, the Word of God says, And the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Now, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God doesn't want you to suffer the consequences of sin. You see, Jesus went and suffered them for you. Folks, this isn't rocket science this morning. Salvation is so easy. How many times have I said it? So simple. So simple for that child. That doesn't mean it's easy to let go of your sin. It's easy to understand, but it's not easy to act upon. Simple. But so many, so many have heard it. They know it, but they've never done anything about it. I'm saying today, folks, we are happy. As an individual Christian, as a church, we are happy and want to get along with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ in the world that we possibly can. But I'm not, and I hope you're not, willing to compromise these truths in order for them to accept me. I'm not willing to look at another salvation that's really no salvation at all, another gospel that's no gospel. The Bible says a lot of them have slept, crept in unawares. They're trying to steal away these truths. But I'm saying today, we've got to fight for a scriptural salvation. A scriptural salvation is one that is sound. I don't have time. We'll come back and we're going to look at a couple of other things because a scriptural salvation is not only one that is sound, but it's sure. I'm saying to you today, biblical salvation it doesn't leave any room for error. There is no room for error. But if we come the biblical way, Brother Romani, there's no doubt about it. It works. And it's not only sure, but it's secure. It's forever. That's the statements we make. That's the, the scriptures that I want to give you. I want you to realize and understand this is simple. But yet the majority, the majority of Christendom and religion as a whole 
has moved away from this foundational truth that we're speaking of here this morning. There is no scriptural salvation. They've got all kinds of religious things to do. But today, I want to encourage you if you're here this morning. You know, the truth is, by God's grace and God's love and God's mercy, he's let you be here. I'm sorry you had to listen to me, but it was God's word. And the truth is that maybe by God's grace, his reason for you being here this morning was to remind you, hey, it's not our responsibility, our duty, or our need to try to straighten out all the different churches in the world. We do have a responsibility before God to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to you and I. We have a phenomenal responsibility there. Well, you can hear so many things today, and let me tell you, there's a lot of smart people out there on the radio and on the Internet and on the TV. and I mean, phenomenal minds, tremendous speakers. They could just reason all kinds of things away and get you to believe everything. And it's easy, easier than you might think, to be led down a wrong path unless you're grounded in that book. Vital. We've got to be able to recognize it. They come in suddenly. They sneak in by the side doors, and they're so nice, and they're so sweet, and they're so smiling, and they mean so well. Sometimes they seem to be accomplishing so much. Scriptural salvation, folks. I trust and pray this morning you know. Because as we will look next week, God willing, we'll look at the simple fact that, you know, that, boy, you can. You must know. If it's done the scriptural way, you can know it for now, and you never, ever have to worry about losing it. That's God's way, but you got to have it, and you got to have it. Nothing else will do. Every head bowed and every eye closed here this morning. We're going to sing our closing hymn here in just a moment. I think I picked about three verses of just as I am without one plea. You know, that's, uh, that's the only way you can come this morning just like you are, just like you are, and you are, as we saw from scriptures this morning, not because the Baptist church says it, not because evangelicals say it, not because anybody says it, but because God's word says that we're all sinners. And God's word says there's only one result that that sin can bring, death. Death. Death means separation from God for all eternity. Death means an eternity in a place called hell. God doesn't want that for you. Do you want it for yourself? Simple truth is God sent his Holy Spirit, hopefully here this morning, to give you understanding. There were some other verses that we could have read there if time had allowed us. Simple truth is that it's only It's only by the Holy Spirit that you can understand those spiritual things. If God has given you that understanding this morning, then right here today, you can be converted to the Savior. You can experience the new birth.
you're truly in your heart. Call upon him. We said in our statement of faith, repentance towards God. That's, that's turning away from sin and turning to God. Going a new direction, agreeing with God about your sin, and as you turn away from it, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work. Is there anyone here this morning that you would slip your hand up with nobody looking around saying, you know, preacher, I, I love God. I love the Lord, and I sure want to go to heaven one day, but if I'm honest, well, I sure don't have that 100% certainty in my heart of knowing without a shadow of a doubt. Would you please pray for me? I don't know for sure. Anyone, slip your hand up. God bless you. God bless you. God sees your hands. Nobody looking around. Anyone else, you can put your hand down. Anyone else this morning like us to pray with? You just don't have that certainty. You know, we're not trying any hocus-pocus or magic. But here this morning, would you like us to at least pray to God to help you find in your heart what true scriptural salvation is, not what any church or any denomination, any religious organization, that you know certainly in your heart what God says, and that's what you want. Anyone else? Father, you've seen the hands that was raised. God, you see these hands. You know. Lord, you know it's not our desire this morning. We wouldn't even dare want to, Lord, make anyone that's truly saved doubt their salvation. But God, I shiver and shudder to think of giving anyone false hope just because that they're even part of this church or been baptized by this church or members of this church because they've done something that man has told them to do. Lord, there's nothing on the outside that can be done. Lord, there's a heart that must respond, a heart that must respond, a heart that must call upon you. Lord, these hands that have been raised, I pray that you would work in their hearts. Pray that maybe even here this morning, maybe while you're speaking to them, while you're near to them, maybe they need to come. Maybe they need to just talk with someone or let someone pray with them. Maybe they've just got questions. Maybe they just need to sort some things through and they just need somebody there. Lord, we know that our desire is the same as yours, That's that your work would be done in their hearts. May you move as only you can. May each one respond as they need to. Father, we can't drag people down to the front. We can't make people do things that would accomplish nothing, and that's not our purpose. We don't even want to play on their emotions, but we do want to encourage them. We want to plead with them that if you're speaking to them and if you've spoken to their hearts, that they would respond right now. While you are near, right now is the time of salvation. Of course, in Christ's name we pray, amen. Mm-hmm.